this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Mark Babbitt. Mark is the founder and CEO of U-Turn, a social resource for young professionals that Mashable calls a top five online community for starting your career. With decades of experience in avionics, electrical engineering, startups, personal branding, uh, Babbitt has been an expert on career coaching, internships, resumes, and professional development. Uh, He is one of the Inks Magazine's top 100 speakers on leadership, and he's the co-author of A World Gone Social, How Companies Must Adapt to Survive. Glad to have him here. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Colin. Thank you very much. Let's go back in time. Oh, God. Already? Okay. (laughs) Let's go back in time. Let's talk about um, how did Mark discover his love for entrepreneurship was it what was your family entrepreneurs let's talk about that so so no they weren't uh and and they didn't um they didn't understand my my edginess around that topic for quite some time and and in some ways perhaps they still don't i uh i was raised in oregon and in some lumber towns where people just were just happy to have a job and and they didn't aspire for much more than that frankly and and uh, and I and I knew very early that that that's not what I wanted. I didn't want to just go to work and earn enough money just to pay my bills and feed my kids. I I wanted something more. So, if you ask my parents, they'll they'll, they'll probably tell you that I was driving them crazy at eight with my entrepreneurial spirit and 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 I was always out building something, selling something. Um, but mostly my my thing, and it still is today, is I'm a solution junkie. There's always a better way to do something and. And that's that's what drove me. I mean, even at eight years old, everybody else is selling this this silly little newspaper door to door for twenty five cents a time, and I was selling six month subscriptions. And because because I knew that's how I I built a long term customer base, and and uh, and and so I there was always a better way to do something. For sure, I love that drive, and some people definitely have it when they're younger, and other people uh, they kind of sometimes I like to say they stumble they stumble into it. <laughs> Let's let's kind of let's kind of you know go up into you know upon when you was graduating from high school. Was your did you have the type of parents that were saying, Mark, I don't want to hear your excuses. You're going to college. Did you have those type of parents, or 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 or, or was they still kind of leaning you to go go to a university, or did you just kind of you know say, uh, you know maybe I need to do a gap year? What was that experience like? So I, so I, again, I grew up in a different time, right? I'm old. So, so this was uh, 1977, and I announced at 17 years old that I needed my parents to sign a waiver so I could enter the military at 17 years old. And, and I knew that the military would pay for my education. I knew it would get me out of the house. I knew it would allow me to live an independent life without being a drain on my, on my parents' limited finances. And, 
And and so that's the route I went. I I celebrated celebrated my 18th birthday in boot camp, uh, and and uh, wouldn't change it for the world. I they did pay for my education. They did get me in engineering. They they eventually got me six job offers in Silicon Valley before I even separated at four years. Wow! It, it was it was it was it was a much different time than what we have now, and and I'm grateful for every moment of it. For sure, it definitely was a different time. You know, I, I unfortunately I know a lot of people who are. You know, who are serving our serving our our, our great country, and uh, you know, they're, they're having problems. You know, with that, the whole like, what was it called the GI GI Bill or yes, uh, yep. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're having a hard time. You know, you know, getting their tuition paid, and there's a lot of uh, kind of cogs in the machine that's making it very difficult. But uh, it's great to hear how really, you know, you know, the, the service you've you've given to our country, and and the fact that you know they've you know also give you an opportunity to study. Uh, to to to, st- to study a higher a university education, uh, that's definitely uh, great to hear. So you did all four years for electrical engineering. Well, yes, I I actually I worked at Travis Air Force Base outside San Francisco, California. I worked on on the same airplane for for four years. Um, I also played a lot of sports for the military, so I got to travel literally all over the world. Wow! And and uh, and enjoy that aspect of my of my military career. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, four years was enough for for, an, for, for a guy who, um, at a very early age, was bound and determined to make things better and, and to do things better. The military turns out is not a great place for that, it, and um, they they kind of want things done the way they've been doing it for a hundred years. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so so I definitely learned a lot about about organizational culture then, and yes. and what I had to do. To fit in, how I had to to mold my personal culture in, into the military, and and it was a great learning experience. Great, I I, I, I definitely uh, can imagine. So you know, when you when you graduated uh, from university with your degree in engineering, was that the path that you started on, or let's let, let's talk about you know what, what was that like upon uh, graduating from college? Well, I so so I. I entered Silicon Valley even before my degree was finished, and oh, and back then, yeah, back then they didn't honestly. They were so desperate for for engineers and for critical thinkers. They just said, "Look, we'll help you finish your degree. Just come work for us." And and again, much different times than now. And and, and but even back then, you had to have a certain drive to qualify for that much support and. And you had to have uh, what what we now call what I now call social proof. Yes. You 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 couldn't just talk about what you were going to be at. You had to talk about what you've already done. Mm-hmm. And 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 boy, what a lesson for today's job seekers, for today's young professionals and college graduates. You know, it's not enough to to just walk in with that piece of paper and say, "Hey, I'm educated." Uh, nobody cares. Honestly, yeah. nobody cares. Yeah. Eighty percent of the world now. The, the the first world goes to college at some point or another in their lives. It's not a differentiator. Yeah. It's you know it's it used to be they said you had to have a high school diploma to meet minimum requirements. Well, in many careers and in many industries now, that that college diploma doesn't make you special. It really is that minimum requirement. And thank goodness, Callan, I didn't have to deal with that. And and uh, and I was a full fledged engineer even before I had the degree. So uh, again, much different times. Uh, absolutely, it's it's so sad, Mark. You know, I see a lot of people they graduate from college, they have a bachelor's degree in business administration, or they have maybe an art history degree, in, 
But yeah, they, have, they, they, they typically have a, some type of baccalaureate degree that's not really specialized. And as you said, you know, they try to go to corporations thinking that, you know, they, you know they're, they're going to just kind of enter uh, into kind of the mid, midpoint of the ladder and, you know, start as an executive or something like that. But, you know, oftentimes that 50, 60, 80,000 dollar degree just sends them right back to the bottom where other people who have never went to college uh, are, are applying for that same job. And, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate. As you said, it is the minimum requirement. In a lot of, in a lot of careers, uh, a college degree is the minimum requirement you know there are some exceptions depending on the type of job but it's unfortunate to see that nowadays it's like really what it what is even a high school diploma worth nowadays yeah if, if the minimum if the minimum requirement is a college degree then it's like it's like it's like a high school diploma it's not even worth anything i would imagine back in your time mark you know uh, i'm not sure how old you are but you know uh, i would imagine maybe you know maybe uh you know you know uh, 40 uh 50 years ago you know, people thought of a high school diploma in a bit of a better regard than it is now. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. What would you say to that? Oh, well, absolutely. And, and you know, it's here, here's the thing about high school diplomas, and I read your blog post on this, and it was, and it was um, very insightful. A high school diploma is your ticket to play now. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It, mm-hmm. it, it's your... It's your social proof that you have gone through our public or, or private education system and you're now ready to play the game. It doesn't make you qualified for anything. Your work ethic might, your entrepreneurial spirit might, your your personal drive might, but that, that high school diploma is 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 it's just an it's just an entry ticket. And it's and it's not an entry ticket to the you know, to business class or first class, it barely gets you on the Greyhound. And so, <laughs> and, and so it's, you know, it's, it's different now. Now, you know, the college degree isn't quite that bad, right? It's, it's still, it's a merit badge, mostly for, mostly for the parents, I think. Yeah. Um, I think even college graduates now are starting to realize that, that this college degree does not make me special. It, it makes my parents proud. It makes me proud that I, that I stuck this out and I earned the degree but man, this is not the key to a great career. There's so many other factors uh, beyond this piece of paper that that yeah, I worked hard for, but uh, it's it's just it's just a different world. For sure, uh, you know, a, you know, if you're if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be an engineer like yourself, uh, if you're going to be an uh, 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 you know, maybe a police officer or some type of uh, uh, healthcare profession, then, then absolutely, you know, a college degree. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, gives merit. But, you know, you could find a very great, let's say, IT guy who's never went to college but really understands CSS and coding and HTML and all that and can really, you know, be just as good, you know, because because really when it comes to, you know, that type of, uh, when it comes to those computer languages, really it's just, it's your portfolio. You know, I mean, I'm quite sure maybe uh, a university degree can give them some credence but really, you know, if an IT guy has a great portfolio and can really show that he does a spectacular job, uh, you know, building websites, coding, in that matter, 
I don't, you know, in, in professions like that, I don't think it matters much. What would you say? Right. Well, I I, I agreed uh, to a large to a to a large degree. I completely agree. I here's the difference. The guy the guy that went to um, coding academy for six weeks and got his online education and and found something he loved and absolutely dove headfirst into the process and became really good at his craft. Uh, became a coding craftsman, if you will. He's sitting right next to that guy with a master's in, in computer science from Stanford uh -huh. when they first start out. Now, here's where the difference becomes. If somebody starts to get into leadership management roles, then then the guy from Stanford, get, he's going to get picked first. It just it, That's just the way the corporate world works, right? So, oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. So, so to a certain extent, um, boy, think about it. Think about the opportunity cost. Think about... You know the two hundred thousand dollars for a minimum Stanford degree, let alone a master's degree, four or five years now. It's taking some people of of lost income. Compare that to the guy that did the six week coding academy program and started making seventy six thousand dollars a year as soon as he graduated. You know there's a there's a big difference there. Now it does not mean you can't make up for that later as you go into management, go into leadership, become an executive. You know that that degree. Studies still show it eventually pays off, but right out of school, it's boy, it's kind of a toss-up right now, and it's a really hard decision, Callan, as you know, for some people. Do I, do I put my parents through this? Do do I do I uh, do I obtain all that student loan debt? Do I have that hanging over my head just to have that degree, or do I just go for it and 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 learn exactly what I need to learn to do a good job and and get out in the workforce right away? That is a tough decision, now. For sure, I do like. You know, thanks to uh, online education, it has really created a large space, and where a lot of education providers they could come in and offer uh, and offer a type of program that really helps a person to, to really helps a person get into some type of technical career. You know, whether it's you know to be an IT guy, to be a coder, to build websites blogging or digital marketing uh, these types of things uh, there's lots of there's lots of uh, education providers now who offer these types of courses and where a person can can really can, can really study a comprehensive thorough course and essentially uh, essentially have uh, meet the requirements to be able to offer their services as a coder as a digital marker uh, 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 to the platform, I, I definitely agree that when it comes to uh, like the more involved roles, like the more I, I like to say kind of uh, uh, broad roles, like if a person wants to get into leadership space in IT, definitely, uh, there's no doubt about it, they'll definitely pick the the master's uh, uh, graduate, the, the the or I guess the the master's degree graduate over um, over the person who just studied at the academy. I like to I like to go in and talk about some of your experience in Silicon Valley because you definitely was in Silicon Valley before it became even trendy or even popular or even known to kind of everyone you know everyone on the internet. Now you was kind of you 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 kind of in a sense pioneered it. Let's talk about that. <laughs> well, I was along for the ride, I guess you'd say. <laughs> uh, you know, I I entered Silicon Valley in 1982. Um, I was there until um, 1999 in different capacities. I, I did engineering for about eight years before I went, God, this sucks. This is not who I'm supposed to be. But, but during those eight years, it was, a, it was a manufacturing center. It wasn't the knowledge center that it is now. We were, we were 
we were building chips. We were building wafers. We were we were building the technology that that the the indust that, that signaled the end of the industrial age. And it was it was an exciting time for us. It, you know, it was it was uh, it was a time when Silicon Valley was at its peak from a production from a manufacturing point of view. Uh, it wasn't the it wasn't the VC craze. It wasn't the entrepreneurial craze. It was. It was now, um, you know. Now in Silicon Valley, it's kind of the haves and the haves nots. You're, if you're a VC funded company, then you're living the dream, and if you're not, you're you're struggling right along with those starving artists, right? So, sure, yeah. um, it's it's changed a lot, but it's it's been interesting over the decades to watch it turn from. Uh, it kind of mirrors our national economy, right? We went from from blue collar manufacturing work to now everybody has a college degree and everybody's a subject matter expert and and everybody has a, has an idea everybody has an invention and and it's it's changed so dramatically it definitely uh, it definitely has typically you know kind of second to silicon valley would be more like kind of the new york area when it comes to capital when it comes to kind of a lot of you know resourcefulness for entrepreneurs there are there are now a lot of other types of cities that are starting to pop up and becoming very uh known to be the new entrepreneurial hubs you have places like austin you have places like uh you have places like the triangle in the carolinas you have columbus ohio any type of uh, entrepreneur scenes in the u.s that has really excited you that has or that has really caught you eye and you and you think it's kind of worth talking about well, I, I got to tell you, I travel for speaking engagements and, and, and for book publicity and stuff. I travel to New York all the time. And every time I go there, I am thoroughly impressed by, by the old school entrepreneurial spirit there. Not, not the I'm going to sit around and live in my parents' basement until, until I get my VC funding. Not, not that guy. But the people that are, that are busting, excuse my language, but they're busting their ass to do something amazing. Uh-huh. And, and, and New, York, New York continues to impress me. Austin is amazing. I'll tell you another area that, that piques my interest every time I go there is the Seattle-Washington area. They're, you know, born and bred in the backyard of Microsoft. There are so many startups in that area and so, so, so many, uh, you know, attempts to make a difference that it's inspiring. And, and um, you know, yes, I was 20 years outside the hipster demographic, but but just to just to walk through the coffee shops and the and and the and the and the technology centers through the Seattle area is is more than inspiring. It it's just you see you see people in these co-working spaces that that are that are that are giving everything they have to making a difference and to living you know their entrepreneurial dream, and it's um it's motivating. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become a Prim20 Premium Radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription today. Get one hour commercial free episodes, private mastermind calls with our guests, and much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription. For just another way to help you start reaching 
your finish line. Uh, Mark, a lot of people uh, look to you as a thought leader. You know, you've definitely been in the game for a long time. So, you know, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you're definitely uh, definitely one of the thought leaders, definitely, uh, you know, one of the influencers. Uh, recently, uh, you have become one of Inc. magazines. And by the way, if y'all don't already know, Inc. is one of my uh, favorite business publications that I read. Uh, you've been recognized in Inc. magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers. Now, Mark, everybody wants to be better leaders. But the question is, you know, everyone has these different styles and formats, but what's really the best way to really be an effective leader? And what do you think, Mark? You know, how does how does someone uh, really uh, increase their capacity and actually be an uh, influential leader? So so the first step that, that we found is is you have to you have to especially as older guys we have to unlearn everything we were taught about leadership this this industrial age autocratic loud decisive um, alpha alpha male leader that that we were all taught to be by our parents by our peers by our business schools that that it just amazes me that some organizations are still run that way today and 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 there's a huge transition going on from the industrial age leadership to what we call social age leadership where where a leader is actively involved in in discussions with their employees and their and their customers and their potential customers and their vendors and in and, and she's out there building relationships with people that that stand not only the test of time but stand uh, you know uh, price incursions uh, uh, even even in some cases um, being ubered by innovation I mean, these re- these relationships are 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 lifelong partnerships where people go. You know what? I I see that you might have a, a more innovative tele- talent community. You might have a better website, but you know what? I like those guys at U-Turn. I've worked with them for a long time, and that's where my loyalty is. And 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 I love the members of that community. And I'm going to stick with them. And and it builds this this social leadership builds this level of affection, this level of loyalty. That an industrial leadership style just can't do, and I and I and and I, here's the key: it's and it's so simple. All you have to do is actively listen. You know, whether it's on social media, whether it's walking the floor in your business, whether it's it's you know making an effort to call your your remote employees, saying how are you doing today, what's what are you working on, how can I help you, right? It's just being involved. That's what that's what people want now. That's what motivates them to do their best work. That. That's that's what gets them to walk through a wall for you if that's what it takes to accomplish today's mission, and that that's what leadership today is all about is 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 getting the right people in the right room at the right time and then actively listening to what they have to say. I like that actively listening, and I also like how you said in the beginning how it's like it starts with having to unlearn everything, you know. And I think that kind of really ties into the book you co-authored, uh, A World Gone Social: How Companies Must adapt to survive you know did you talk a bit about that and perhaps you could talk more about that book yeah uh, we talk a lot about that we and we give many examples of of these legacy organizations that still think they can mandate what their customers think about their products you know the the bank of americas the wells fargo's the volkswagens you know the stories never never end of companies that violated the trust of the very people that bought their products the the very people that that help their share price stay high, and they and they deliberately violated that trust. And uh, and then once and then once they were bust, they said, "Oh, we didn't do that. Somebody's wrong. 
right? And they still continued to to lie and deny and spin, and and they call legal and they call PR companies and they they say, okay, well, we really messed up. How do we get out of this without telling the truth? Well, that's the opposite of of how companies are run now. For companies sure. are run today, and I hate the, the the authentic buzzword, but that's what it boils down to is is how upfront are you going to be about what's going on in your corporate world? How upfront are you going to be, especially when things go wrong, and 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 it and it hasn't been a good day, you know. There's a lot of power in a CEO in those in those situations standing up and saying, you know what, we messed up today, and I got this, I own this, and I'm going to fix it right now. Yeah, and that book is called A World Gone Social: How Companies Must Adapt to Survive. Uh, can I get that on Amazon, Mark? Oh, it's kind of everywhere now. It's um, oh great. It's taken on. Taking on a life of its own. It's Amazon, Barnes and Noble online, and in stores, and and one eight hundred CEO, and and there are several affiliates now that are carrying it, and and uh, and helping us um, with our workshops around around teaching these legacy organizations how to survive yeah. in the social age, and and how to work differently, and how to how to inspire action um, rather than just the dictate work hours and productivity standards and metrics. Right, great. And yeah, I definitely recommend y'all check the book out. You know, in order to be a great leader, you have to be teachable. And in order to be teachable, I feel like you have to come from a sense of humility. That's the only way you're going to, uh, you know, be open to idea, to be able to adapt. You know, otherwise, people are going to just kind of have these arrogant attitudes, thinking that they got it all figured out. That if they don't adapt, then unfortunately, uh, they're going to face failure. And uh, they want to kind of fall on their face. So uh, again, you know, definitely, uh, we'll definitely uh, plug that again uh, towards the end. Let's, I mean, you know, Mark, you kind of got your hands into a lot of things. You know, uh, you're, 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 you're like a multi entrepreneur. You know, you have you have you th- or maybe per- perhaps serial entrepreneur. Uh, you, you you have another uh, uh, thing called Switch. Uh, let's talk about that. What is Switch? Well, it's, uh, the full name is Switch and Shift, okay. and Switch Switch and Shift is is a consultancy that that helps people migrate, transition from industrial age leadership practices and, and frankly business and culture practices into the social age. and 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 our our job is to take these old white guys, and I, when I say old white guys, I I mean that quite literally. It's usually old, er, boomer white males that have been taught how to lead in this autocratic command and control style who now realize nobody wants to work for me nobody wants to be a part of my organization yeah and, and instead of instead of you know uh, coming to, to my company and doing a good job they're leaving they're leaving for those those more inspiring roles and 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 probably getting paid more to leave and and so we 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 help these old white guys in their organizations uh, uh, make that transition and it's 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 quite exciting, Callan, to see those to see those lights go on, and not just from the leaders, but from the people they that work with them. When they see how differently an organization can run based on inspiration, it's 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 um, it's it's you know it's not a bad way to get up in the morning. It's it, it it it's quite inspiring to see how willing people are to unlearn and learn to do things differently to. To work hard to accomplish their common goals, it's it's um, it, it's so different uh, that 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 it, it you can actually see good stuff happening right in front of you. It's like basically in a way, it's like you're taking these old 
you know, uh, leaders, and you're kind of like, you know, kind of like teaching them, okay, this what worked in your age, but this this what works now in the millennial age, basically, right? Well, yes, and and you know, you still you still want them to be anchored in what they know, right? We, right. you you can't. Um, no, nobody ever changed because somebody said you have to change. Just like nobody ever got over it because you said get over it, right? Exactly. No, <laughs> no, nobody likes change happening to them or at them. They they like change to happen with them and for them. And and so this, you know, for everybody over say forty five, this is a tough pill to swallow. This is this is again unlearning everything you were taught, everything you knew, and actually, as you said, showing humility. I mean. What business school teaches that? That that doesn't happen, That's right? True. Even now, it doesn't happen. A vulnerable? You want me to be vulnerable? You you want me to actually talk about my family on Facebook? Facebook is for kids. I'm not doing that, right? Yeah. And it's it's this it's this it's this weird dynamic where where people who are slow to embrace, especially the social the, the digital aspect of this, they're not coming across as as human centered. They're not. Um, they're not uh, demonstrating their their uh, expertise online. They're not creating social proof of what they know and who they're doing it with. And and boy, a lot of these people, especially and you know this, Callum, more than anybody, you know that Great Recession knocked a lot of us just on our ears. We didn't even know what to do. We didn't know how to find our next job. And and you had all these managers and all these leaders that were at their top of the game in 2009, 2010. And now they had no idea what to do next. Many of them still don't. Uh, yeah. Five, six years later, and and now, and that's what it's all about now. Is leadership just isn't about inspiring your current team to do good work. It's about letting people know that you're doing that good work, and and knowing that this is not going to be probably not going to be your last gig. And how are you perceived out there in the marketplace? And what is your value in the marketplace? And how could you come to my company, young entrepreneur, young leader, and make a huge difference for me when I decide that old white guy's not getting the job done anymore? It's all it's all about value, and it's all about leveraging the opportunity right there in front of you. Love it. Love it. And Mark, as we come to a close, if people want to get in contact with you or follow you, how would they do that? Well, I still answer my own email. Uh, I still do my own tweets and my own my own Facebook work. So um, uh, my email is mark m a r k at uturn dot com y o u t e r n dot com. Um, on Twitter, I'm at mark s babbitt, and uh, on Facebook, uh, same way you can find me as mark s babbitt. Mark, thank you for being our guest. Of course, this was fun. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at seen a Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.